0: There's a song that goes, People think I'm crazy because I worry all the time. If you paid attention, you'd be worried too. You better pay attention, or this world we love so much might just kill you. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Because it's a jungle out there. It's a jungle out there. These are the words to a song, um, this is a theme song to one of my favorite shows. Well, it went off the TV just this year. Um, It was called Monk. Any of you ever seen it, maybe? They took Hogan's Heroes off, and now Monk, I don't know what I'm ever going to do. (laughs) Monk is this guy who's a detective, and he has this problem. He's got obsessive-compulsive disorder. And on top of that, he's a bit paranoid. He's afraid of everything. But this kind of works in his favor. Because he's so obsessive and because he's so paranoid, he's afraid of everything, and he he pays attention to everything. And he, he sees all these little details that so many people miss. And, and that's how he does his work of being a great detective. It's his paranoia that works in his favor. And I like this because I come from a long line of paranoid people. You should see them, yes, they really are. Um, my mother, she's afraid to join Facebook because she's afraid it's going to like empty her bank account or something. And, um, and my grandmother... Oh, she's in the Paranoid People Hall of Fame. Um, she was right up there. And, and so I feel that way, and, and my mother and my grandmother and probably probably at least one of my children um, are going to join me in this long line of tradition of people who are, who are constantly worried. You know, we, if you paid attention, you'd be worried too. Um, because we know that just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that people aren't out to get you, right? You know this to be true. I tease my mom sometime about being a hy- hypochondriac as well. She always teases me about the same thing. In fact, she says she's going to change her will so that on her tombstone it will read, See, I told you I was sick. And uh, this is what we do in our family. We, we worry about stuff a little bit and, and uh, we, we make sure that we keep on our toes because we're not going to get caught off guard. See, we're, we're only paranoid because the world is a jungle out there. And so we keep, we keep on our toes. We pay attention. I remember one time I was in the car with my grandparents and my mother and I think maybe a brother. We kind of crowded into my, my grandpa's Cadillac and he was driving through the town. And, and this black cat ran right across the street. And my, my grandmother said, Bob, stop the car. And he stopped the car like he was told to. And she said, you turn around and go around the block. We are not going through that path that black cat just ran across the street. And don't you know my, grandma, my grandfather backed that car up and turned around and went around the block, just like she told him. And everybody in the car was angry, except me, because I knew that Grandma was looking out for us. You cannot be too cautious in this world. The opposite is true, though, of a lot of people, isn't it? That, that they just sort of um, not really worried about things. They, they sort of just kind of go through life and are, are oblivious to all the dangers that are out there. Um, they never worry. I really wish I could be like that. I'm not, but I wish I could. My wife is like one of those people. She never worries about anything. She just goes through life with a smile all the time and, and always this sure and confident. But I tell you, she got it the other day. She, I asked her if I could tell this story. She told me it was okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm on good ground here. Well, we're at Bowell wow Beach. Have you been there at Bow Wow Beach, this little dog park with a beach down the road here? And we're standing on this, this concrete slab. And we took our 85-pound lab out there because she loves to run up and down and chase dogs and jump in the water. And So Lucy's our dog's out there running up and down the beach and we're standing on the concrete slab watching them. And, And Abby got watching some other set of dogs over there. okay. And so she's watching what Lucy's doing. And Lucy had got a Great Dane and she was chasing it right towards us. And before we realized it, she had run this Great Dane right into the back of Abby, And it took her feet out, and she kind of levitated, you know, in a, in a horizontal position for about ten seconds, it seemed like, um, before she crashed down to the concrete. Well, we, we panicked. We thought, oh, she you know, she's really hurt. Well, I panicked. I ran over to help her. I'm not sure the boys did. I don't know. But I ran over to, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah, she, wait a minute. I think I'm okay. All, the, yeah, all of my parts are here. I'm okay. And of course, we, we laughed a little bit then. Uh, I think she thought we laughed a little too soon, but we did. We, you know, we, we had a little chuckle about it. And I realized something afresh. If you're not paying attention, well, you know, something can come along and just knock your feet right out from under you. If you're not vigilant, if you're, if you're you know, paranoid people like me, we would never get knocked down by dogs at Bow Wow Beach because we're always looking out for this. Jesus' word to us. Pay attention. Be vigilant. Keep your eyes open because there's something out there that can just knock you down without you ever noticing it. It can creep up on you so subtly that you never saw it coming. You heard the story. He's in a crowd. He's teaching. Earlier in in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 12, he says that there were thousands of people. They were so much pressed in against one another, they were sort of trampling over top of one another. Thousands of people had gathered to hear Jesus teaching. And as he's teaching, he pauses, I imagine, takes a drink of water. And at that very moment when he paused, this fellow jumps out from the crowd and says, Hey, teacher, I have this problem, my brother. He's not dividing our inheritance fairly. And I think Jesus almost probably chokes on the water. Um, Luke doesn't say that, but I'm sure that's what he meant to say. As he looks at this man, and he sort of sizes him up a little bit, I think. You see, in the first century, if a parent died and they had children, they would, um, they would leave the lion's share of the inheritance to the oldest child. And then that oldest child would be the executor to determine what the other children would get. And so I'm guessing this guy who speaks up is not the oldest son, right? He's probably the second or even the third. And he's saying, Lord, they're not div- my brother is not dividing the inheritance fairly. That scoundrel. He's keeping it all for himself. And Jesus says, well, who made me your judge or arbiter? You know, I'm thinking the other brother was there too, don't you? I mean, it's a big event. There are people gathered all around, thousands, Luke says. It's probably like a, a concert in the Hudson Green, you know? Kids are out there playing ball, people are gathered around, it's a, it's a big event. And, and, and I'm sure the other brother is probably right there, who's probably got a scowl on you know, a, a his face as, as his younger brother brings up this question of the inheritance. But Jesus doesn't bite on the question at all, does he? He doesn't say... You know, it probably are unfair. You should share with your brother. He doesn't say that at all. In fact, he chastises the one who's asking for justice, which seems kind of strange. There's an awkward silence. And then he says to the brother, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You see, it's not that he doesn't have enough. I think the brother who's upset that he didn't get the fair share or what he thought was the fair share, it wasn't that he didn't get enough, he didn't get what he wanted. Well, where do you see that in the text? Well, look at the parable. He tells him a story, right, about this man who owned, notice it was a rich man who owned fields. It wasn't a poor man, he was a rich man who owned fields. And, and, and he had a bumper crop, the best crop ever. So good, so great was this crop that he said, I never anticipated a crop like this. I had to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And at the end of the story, of course, the Lord comes to him and says, You know, you fool. Tonight you die. You get none of this stuff. You see, the biblical word for this is covetousness. But the word that we use is greed. Greed is a corrupting vice. It gets into our souls and eats at us. You see, it's not that the man didn't get enough inheritance. It's not that he didn't have enough to live on. He didn't get what he wanted. He wanted more. And get this, you don't have to be poor to be covetous or greedy. You don't have to be rich to be covetous or greedy. It doesn't matter how much money one has. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have. Greed comes to the rich and the poor alike. In fact, I worry that greed comes even more to the poor. I don't really like the lottery. Perhaps, I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong. If you play the lottery, that's great. Play it. I hope you win. And I hope you tithe on it. Okay? Um, but but one thing I don't like about the lottery is that, is that I think that it it plays on the covetousness of those who least can afford to have that sort of attitude. It makes them want what they don't have. And Jesus is saying it shouldn't be focused on what we don't have, what we're not getting, but rather about being grateful for what we do have. In fact, he ends this with this little cryptic saying that we should be rich toward God. And it got me thinking, how in the world can someone be rich toward God? I mean, God doesn't need anything that we have. How can we be rich toward God? And I think we're rich towards God when we are grateful for what we have and when we trust God to meet our needs. We're not worried about what we don't have. We're rather thankful for what we do have. Sometimes I worry about the churches in the Anglican Communion. I see them fighting over property and all that sort of thing. Let it go. Don't fight about it. Just let it go. Trust that God will give us whatever it is that we need. And I think we're rich towards God whenever we share with one another. Nothing is more unlike God, I think, than stinginess. And nothing more like God than when we share with one another. It doesn't mean we can't save. doesn't mean we can't prepare for the future. Read the Proverbs sometime filled with all sorts of, of wisdom about how we should plan for the future and save. And, and, and notice, the Lord doesn't even castigate the Father who left the inheritance. He, does, he affirms that. That's a good thing. Covetousness is not about how much we have or don't have. It's about our heart and about what we want. There's a, a you know the story of Cory Boom maybe she was this um this dutch woman who lived in holland during the second world war uh, she, was, she and her family were, um, were hiding Jews in their attic. And the Nazis came and found them and said, don't hide any more uh, Jews in your attic. And they said, okay. And then they hid more Jews in their attic. And the Nazis came back and said, don't do this again. And they said, okay. And then they hid more Jews in their attic. And, and then they found them again a third or fourth time. And finally the father says, we're going to keep doing this. You've got to know that we're not going to not do this. And so they took them all and put them in a concentration camp. And Corey Ten Boom, she's the only one of her family that lived to survive that event. She watched her father die and her, her sister die. She lost all that she had. And she says later in her life, you should read her book, it's called A Hiding Place. She says later in her life she realized that she had to start living with her hand open. <laughs> she said so that it didn't hurt so much when God pried my fingers off of things. I have to li- learn to live with my hand open so that it doesn't hurt so much. When God prized my fingers off of things. It kind of reminded me of a story about monkeys in Africa. You say, How in the world does that remind you of a story about monkeys? I'm glad you asked, I'll tell you. There, there's a story about monkeys that, and I suppose that um, it's because that monkey brains are a bit of a delicacy in certain parts of Africa. I know, so close to lunch. But people actually eat the brains from monkeys, and they want them to be fresh. So here's how they capture monkeys they will, um, they will hunters will get a coconut. And split it open in half and they'll hollow out the coconut. Take all the the coconut and all the milk out and they'll put a big ripe juicy orange in this coconut. They put it back together and tie it up, bound it up with twine. And then they bore a hole in one side. So that a monkey's hand will reach up and fit through that hole. But when he grabs hold of the orange, he won't be able to pull the orange through. It's, It's big enough for the hand but not big enough for the orange. And then a hunter climbs up into the top of the tree and ties up the the coconut and they stand out at the bottom of the tree and watch. And sure enough, a monkey comes along, smells that orange in there, looks at it, sticks his hand in and grabs hold of the orange and he can't get it out. And the hunter just climbs up the tree. The monkey sees him coming. He's pulling on the orange. He can't get it out. The hunter's climbing up the tree and the hunter grabs hold of the monkey. You see, all he has to do is let go of the orange and he can save his life. All he has to do is let go and he will live. And I think Jesus is saying, the same is true of us. Amen.